Sunday. So we're going to go ahead and stand up and start with worship, all right? Spirit, remind me that your 
Can we give him praise this morning? This next song we're going to play is just, um, it's called The Heart of Worship. It's always been a favorite song of mine. It's, I was talking to some people earlier and they kind of asked, they said, isn't that song older than you are? Like, maybe, maybe. But it's still one of my favorites and there's nothing wrong with singing some older songs. So um, I think it's always a good reminder just to remind ourselves why we're here, why we're doing this.
to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds his hands his feet my Savior on that cursed tree his body bound and drenched in tears they laid him down in Joseph's tomb the entrance by
you guys can be seated. The kids are dismissed to your classes, and Nick's going to give us some announcements. Oh, and... Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, before we do get into our announcements this morning, uh, we have a couple prayer needs that we'd like to share with you and, and actually just spend some time praying uh, as a church family about. And uh, the first one is, is that uh, several months ago, we uh, told you that one of our dear members, a man by the name of Peter Thielen, had suffered a pretty serious health uh, issue. And uh, it's just, we just realized it's been a while since we've said anything. And um, unfortunately, Peter has continued to struggle. Um, he's been in and out of the hospital. Uh, he, he, he continues to go downhill as of, as of right now. And, and so we just wanted to uh, let you know that, to continue to pray for him, to pray for his family, uh, to pray for his friends and those who are involved in helping him. And, um, and so that would be one situation we want to pray about this morning. Um, the other one is, uh, some of you might not know this name, but many of you will. Uh, another dear former member uh, here, a lady by the name of Marcy Old. Uh, in 2010, her son was one of our pastors here, and he left to go plant a new church. Uh, and about 40 people went with him. Was uh, We sent them out with our blessing to go to the short north, and Marcy uh, went with her son at that time. And so hasn't been here for for quite some years, but for many years, she led our single mom's ministry. And she's just one of the most godly and incredible women that I've had the pleasure of knowing. Um, and unfortunately, several years ago, Marcy had uh, cancer and uh, it went into remission and she was able to fight it off, but it has come back uh, very aggressively. And uh, as of now, the prognosis does not look good. And so we wanted to pray for her and to pray for Chris Old and, and his entire family as well. And then the last thing is not really, an, uh, it's not an update. Um, it's not really news because you all know that school's starting here in just a couple days for many of you. And uh, we've tried to do this from time to time, but we just thought it'd be good to pray for the teachers in our congregation, to pray for the students, and, uh, and then some of you homeschool as well. And so uh, my wife homeschools, and so I know that our household needs lots of prayer and grace here as we enter into a new school year. And so would you join me now as we pray for these different needs? Well, Father, we thank you that we can come before you uh, like little children, Lord, and we can pray for these uh, various needs, Lord. And thank you, Lord, that you listen. Thank you that you are a God that hears and that you're a God who responds. Lord Jesus, while on earth, you invited us over and over again to uh, come uh, before the Father in prayer. And so this morning, Lord, we do lift up uh, Peter to you. Father, I pray that you, through the power of the Spirit, would comfort him. Lord, that you uh, would touch him and heal his body, Lord. God, we don't know how much longer he'll be here with us, but I just pray that these last, uh, however long he's here, Lord, that you would bless him and keep him. You'd cause your face to shine upon him, Lord. You'd fill him with peace. Lord, we pray the same for our dear friend Marcy. God, thank you for her life, Lord, the impact that she has had uh, both on this church and on our sister church, Awaken. God, she has lived uh, her life to the full. She has made her life count through uh, some very difficult circumstances. 
And so, Father, we pray you would bless her. Jesus, we ask for a miracle. We ask that you would heal her. I pray you'd remove every cancerous cell from her body, that you would touch her and heal her, Lord. We believe that you can do that. And Father, lastly, we just wanna lift up all the uh, teachers in our body, Lord. We know there are many different teachers in our body, the uh, homeschool parents, Lord, and all the students as they make this hard transition from summer fun to back to school. God, would you cause all grace to abound? And would you help just these next couple of days and weeks uh, be a smooth transition? Um, pray that for our students that they would get great teachers, Lord, who uh, teach them well and, and uh, ultimately point them to you, Lord. And so we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we do have a few announcements this morning, but again, before we get into that, I just want to say welcome. Uh, thank you for being here with us this morning. Um, for those of you who are watching online, we say good morning and glad that you're joining us as well. Um, as always, you can follow along the announcements and, and even uh, the sermon in our Bible app. Uh, you go to the event page. Uh, in the Bible app, go to events, look for Limerick Road Church, and in there you'll find uh, song lyrics, sermon notes, and also announcements. Uh, but also, we now have a bulletin we're passing back out, and so if you're here with us this morning, you can follow along the announcements in the bulletin. Um, now, for those of you who are new or who are visiting with us this morning, welcome. We're so glad that you've joined us. Um, if, uh, if you could reach in front of you into the chair in front of you and grab what we call a connect card and to begin to fill it out with some basic information, uh, you can take those connect cards and take them to our welcome uh, desk out in the lobby. And while you're there, we would love to give you a free Limworth coffee mug as a way to say thank you for joining us this morning. Um, as always, you can sign up for different events uh, or write any prayer requests you have on those connect cards as well. All right, well, we do have a few announcements this morning. Uh, the first is, is that uh, this winter we did a course here as a church called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And many of you went through that and have uh, begun to ask when, uh, if you missed that one, many have begun to ask, when are we going to do another one? And so we just wanted to give you a save the date. Uh, we are planning on beginning a new EHS class uh, uh, beginning on October 18th. And it'll be eight weeks in a row on a Tuesday night. And so we just want to get that out there as you plan your fall, uh, that you could, you could be aware of that. And then lastly here, uh, here in about two weeks, we have our leadership retreat. Uh, this is a very important event for our leaders in our church. So if you lead a life group or a ministry or a co-leader, uh, it's really uh, important that you try to prioritize this. Uh, it'll be on October 27th from 8.30 to 1 at the uh, shelter house at the Park of Roses down in Clintonville. And uh, it's going to be a really special time. We have a guest speaker coming in, a guy by the name of Robbie McAllister, who has been a part of uh, the group of churches we've been connected to for many, many years. Uh, he was a missionary over in Ukraine and has served as a pastor for well over 40 years. And so we're excited to hear from him and just want to encourage you to try to prioritize that time and be there. All right. We have one uh, other special element to our service this morning, and for that, I'm going to invite up uh, all of the elders, along with Carl and Julie Warberbitz. And so, give Carl and Julie a hand as they make their way up here. Okay, good morning, everybody. Good morning, Linworth. Yeah, Carl and Julie, if you would just come up right here, please, right in the middle. Welcome. Front and center, yes, and you guys can just, you just kind of go around them here. Yeah, so this morning we're going to appoint new deacons. And uh, the New Testament points to two 
primary offices of leadership, elders and deacons. While there's certainly overlap, elders focus on spiritual needs, while deacons focus on physical needs. Our deacons do an incredible and amazing work around our church, helping and assisting members who are in physical or in financial need. Some of those are one-time needs, and some of those are ongoing needs. Our deacons combine discernment with compassion to steward well what has been entrusted to them by all of us as those who are in abundance, those of us who are in abundance, help and come to the assistance of those who are in need. Now, Carl and Julie, come on up here so we can see your faces, please. <laughs> Carl and Julie have agreed to serve in the role of providing the administrative leadership to our team, a role that Scott Nishizaki originally served in. We have interviewed them Yes, we have. And friends have provided affirming testimony with respect to Carl and Julie's character. Those friends answered questions related to the character qualities for deacons listed in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Those who know Carl and Julie well have certainly felt and experienced their very evident gift of mercy, uh, certainly a primary uh, needed gift for this ministry. They've been members here since 2002. Did you know that? Remember that? Tw 20 years. <laughs> and they are members of, of the Myers Life Group. They have three sons, Ben, Graham, and Luke. They have been involved with Life Group leadership, Discover Life, IFI, Family Camp, Cross Crew, Love Your City, and many, many other events and ministries during their time here. Well, this morning, uh, as elders, we are going to commit them to this work by prayer. And we do this in a public way for two reasons. One, just to illustrate the importance of this office within the local church, the, the ministry of deacons. But secondly, because Carl and Julie, as well as the other deacons, will be ministering to some of you at points of need. In, in vulnerable moments. And so we want you to know that they have our confidence to serve you during those moments. So Carl and Julie, thanks for being agreeing to serve in this role. And I've asked Pastor Nick Lashivo to commit them in prayer. And uh, brothers, if we could lay hands on them. You would uh, just bow your head and maybe stretch your hand out towards Carl and Julie. Father, we thank you for our deacon ministry and we thank you that you have created a way for this church to be your hands and feet, Lord, to those in physical need. And God, we thank you that you've appointed people to help and, and assist the pastors here at this church to uh, do at times what we just don't have the bandwidth to do, Lord. And so we thank you for uh, establishing this ministry here, Lord. We thank you for uh, Scott uh, Scott's service in this role over the years. And God, we thank you for the answer to prayer that Carl and Julie are to our deacon ministry. 
Uh, We've been thinking about, praying about these, uh, this new uh, person or these new people to fill this role, God, and we believe that you've provided, God. We thank you that Carl and Julie have heard this call on their life and they've responded, Lord. And we pray that you would equip them with everything that they need to uh, serve and uh, love people the way that you've called them to to do, Lord. And uh, we pray that you would also help us as a body and us as pastors support them in, in any way that they may need. God, we pray that you would protect them from the enemy and spiritual opposition, Lord. Satan loves when people are... Uh, hopeless, desperate, in need. And so, Lord, we pray that you would protect them, you would guard them, and you would strengthen them. God, we love you. We thank you again for Carl and Julie. And uh, we pray uh, that you would strengthen them and help them, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to start off the message uh, with a video. I like your show. I like how you call homosexuality an abomination. I don't say homosexuality is an abomination, Mr. President. The Bible does. Yes, it does. Leviticus. 18.22. Chapter and verse. I wanted to ask you a couple of questions while I had you here. I'm interested in selling my youngest daughter into slavery as sanctioned in Exodus 21.7. She's a Georgetown sophomore, speaks fluent Italian, always cleared the table when it was her turn. What would a good price for her be? While thinking about that, can I ask another? My chief of staff, Leo McGarry, insists on working on the Sabbath. Exodus 35.2 clearly says he should be put to death. Am I morally obligated to kill him myself, or is it okay to call the police? Here's one that's really important, because we've got a lot of sports fans in this town. Touching the skin of a dead pig makes one unclean. Leviticus 11.7. If they promise to wear gloves, can the Washington Redskins still play football? Can Notre Dame? Can West Point? Does the whole town really have to be together to stone my brother John for planting different crops side by side? Can I burn my mother in a small family gathering for wearing garments made from two different threads? Think about those questions, would you? Wowzer, huh? <laughs> yeah. Hey, my name is uh, Rich. I'm one of the uh, pastors here at Lingworth, in case this is your uh, first Sunday here. You know, for many, this is, this is just truth. There's no questioning. Uh, it's on TV. It's on the Internet. I mean, you know, the president here, for crying out loud, told us these supposed truths about the Bible. And uh, not only has ridicule come from the entertainment world, even government leaders can use the Bible out of context to make a point. I read this article in 2006, uh, then Senator um, Obama addressing a conference hosted by the Christian Social Justice Organization, Sojourners. He questioned the biblical invocations of conservative leaders asking, which passages of scriptures should should guide our public policy? 
Should we go with Leviticus, which suggests that slavery is okay and that eating selfish is an abomination? Folks, this is what we're up against. This is the reason why uh, we are doing uh, this series of messages to help us walk through what is happening in our society these days. You know, and so as we have pointed out, uh, as well as uh, to others, there are stranger strange and stranger things in the Bible. And uh, those couple things, yeah, I thought we'd throw that up there just uh, appropriate. <laughs> but there are strange things, and um, not just the things that were just listed in the video or uh, by President Obama. Um, one of the titles of a chapter on how to read the Bible, which uh, we based some of the series off of, is strange and stranger things in the Old Testament. And directly below the title is a copy of an online meme, which is Christians be like, God bless this pork, pork that you commanded us not to eat. <laughs> and it goes on, here's some more. And some of these that Nick uh, last week uh, mentioned, don't eat lobster or shrimp, okay? Now, I love shrimp. And um, I was telling Nick, you know, I like to go to Kroger, and they have this little section where they package a little box of shrimp with, yeah, is it the best or what? Yes. And I, I like to eat that for lunch. So um, Leviticus 11.10, but all creatures in the seas of stream or streams that do not have fins and scales, whether among all the swarming things or among all the other living creatures in the water, you are to detest. So next, no nylon, no polyester, no spandex, right? Le Leviticus 19.19, do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. Don't shave your beard or sides of your hair, Leviticus 19.27. No tattoos, Leviticus 19.28 says, do not put tattoos marks on yourself, I am the Lord. Death for Sabbath desecration, Exodus 31.14, observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. Uh, death for working on the Sabbath, uh, death for cursing your mom or dad. Kids? It's kind of dangerous out there, all right? Exodus 28, you thought getting your mouth washed out with soap was bad, right? Yeah. Um, no getting rounded haircuts. Okay. <laughs> Are we safe there? Okay, Leviticus 19.27. But beyond that, the Bible seems to approve of things like violence, polygamy, slavery, killing birds, secure mold, bloody rituals, interesting ways on how women are to be treated. And you know, you might be here investigating Christianity and you're like, I'm out of here <laughs> if this is all what Christianity is about. But I just wanna encourage you to hang in there, okay? And let me ask you, did you know that all these things were in the Bible? I would say that, you know, for some, Probably not, or maybe you skipped over and never read those parts of the Bible. And when somebody throws these at you or bring these up and you see a meme on it on social media and you're not familiar with that specific text, it can feel like, I didn't realize that that was in the Bible. Is, is, that, is that true? Did I miss something? And it can leave you embarrassed. It can leave you troubled. Um, it can bring doubts to your faith. And as Nick pointed out last week, Verses like these are being used as ammunition to tear down the Bible, our faith, and the reliability of God's word. They're used to make it sound outdated, make it sound silly, stupid. And one of the targets of this especially is our young adults and our teens. 
Now, I believe that people who line the Bible in this way are, are being a little intellectually dishonest or maybe naive um, or just downright mean. They aren't simply asking questions. They aren't exploring the truth here about Christianity, but um, these things are designed in a way to tear it down. They are communicating to me, for some of them, a misunderstanding and extreme issues of the Bible. And so, yes, we have some strange Old Testament laws that are confusing on the surface and other topics that are also in the New Testament. And they do make for humorous, if not pointed, memes against Christianity. And before we get going any further here, um, I'll tell you what, let's pray, all right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that is beautiful, your word that is true, um, that your word can stand the test of what is going on in our society today. It has existed for thousands and thousands of years. It is the number one selling book in the world. It changes lives. It changes families. It changes marriages. And Father, may we see the beauty of that as we tackle these difficult topics. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, true confessions before we go much further. I may have had barbecue pork Chinese food yesterday. I may have watched some football highlights, uh, you know, throwing around that pigskin football that is not made of pigskin, as Nick so pointed out to us last week. And I'm pretty sure yesterday that I wore a tri-blend t-shirt, not a dual, tri-blend. Um, I trimmed my sideburns, and I'll have you know that I did not cook a young goat in mother's milk, now that we have that out of the way. Exodus 23. 19. <clears throat> okay. So if we're being honest here, and we as Christians can do the same type of thing, maybe in a little bit different way, we find a verse, it makes us feel, one verse, it makes us feel good, it seems to be a promise, we claim it, we put it on a coffee cup or a t-shirt without really knowing the context of it, who wrote it, when it was written, who it was written to, what genre it is, and why it was written. And I'm guilty of this myself. It's why oftentimes... Uh, you know, laboring over a message when I find a verse that says what I, what I wanted to say, you know, oh, the Lord won't say, I wanted to say something. And um, if I'm not lazy, I ask the questions and I find out, no, that doesn't work. I can't do that. That's, that's out of context. And that's why topical sermons, you know, which I don't like as much, uh, you have to be careful with them. All right. And so are there answers that shed the proper light on these laws? Short answer is Yes. And are there tools to help us make sense of and understand them? Yes. Do they, the old, these Old Testament laws where most of these memes come from, apply to us today? Let's find out. And so the way that we're going to attack this or approach this is instead of looking at each one of these interesting, some are called weird laws individually, we're going to look at them collectively in the sense that many are coming from the same place many of them residing in Leviticus and Exodus and are part of the Levitical law with the same overall reasoning of why they were written to and to whom. And what we learned this morning is going to carry over to many of the following topics that we're going to uh, tackle in the coming weeks. Um, and I hope that you will apply these same basic principles 
Those are the same basic questions that we're going to ask to your individual time of study in the Word. And when you come across a confusing verse that you just want to skip over, like, you know, close your eyes, I didn't read that, it's not really in there, is it? Um, or somebody brings something to your attention that you, w- that you would take the, the time and do the hard work of figuring out why they're there and what message they have from the Lord. And so we're going to answer them by applying and looking at some basic Bible study questions that will help answer and clarify many of them. So, you know, Nick did such a great job last week setting things up. He began to lay the groundwork for us on how we are to read and approach the Bible. Um, or as the title of the book that inspired this series is, How to Not Read the Bible by Dan Kimball. And uh, just, just by the way, um, if you happen to pick up the book, like many books that we, uh, we, um, we don't necessarily align with everything that is in the book. So just so you, you know, um, you might, maybe you'll read something and go like, really? I wasn't sure about that. Well, it's true. It's true of every commentary I read. It's true of every book I read to, to, to grow under. It's the same thing with that book there. So let's start by listing five main principles Nick went over from last week, okay? Uh, the first one was, and so uh, the Bible is a library, not a book. So if you weren't here, um, and so, okay, there we go. Sorry about that. Um, depending on what section you pull this from the library, which book you pull, you think of it as bookshelves and the different books on uh, the shelf and you pull from them. Uh, you read them a little differently, law, history, poetry, maver prophecies, etc. Number two, the Bible was written for us, not to us. Number three, never read a Bible verse. Um, you always have to read where it is in the storyline and the context of where it is. For example, um, I'm going to skip that one. Sorry about that. Number four, the Bible deals with harsh realities, not ideal uh, situations. And so um, you have to understand that uh, the Bible, that there's tough things in there because it is speaking to real life. Uh, Number five, all the Bible points to Jesus, a unified story that points to Jesus. And I had just always remember the, the big idea, the overlapping, the, the Bible is a unified story that all fits together. So before I even dive a little bit more into these questions that we're going to ask, um, I have built into my life uh, beliefs and assumptions of what I believe uh, that I have collected over the years. And so I wanted to give you a little bit of an insight of my personal approach when I am re- reading God's Word, okay? I've uh, built in beliefs, as I said, assumptions, things that I believe that I have collected over the years from studying and watching the Lord work in my life and watching the Lord work in others. And I have had to um, adjust along my journey with Jesus uh, with the understanding that I don't have it all figured out, that I'm learning new things. Um, I've been learning from others. This is a continual process for me. Next, I believe that the Bible is absolutely amazing, and it is fascinating. And it is so real as, quote, I'm just going to use this word, religious work, in the sense that God did not leave out the supposed crazy stuff in order to write a fluffy book that makes us feel all warm and fuzzy. And that promises if we just believe in him and we memorize verses that our lives, well, they're just going to be perfect in our estimation. They're going to go the way that we think they should go. The next thing is I have done the pre-work of history and apologetics on the reliability of the Bible, okay? 
This is important for you to, to, to hear this. This is pre-pastor. This is just a this is just learning about God and curiosity about God. Um, I researched that. The Bible is trustworthy, that it was historically true. And it was a big part of what brought me to the Lord. That was like the last bridge that I had to get to, uh, to becoming a believer. So key was all the evidence of the resurrection. Next, I believe I have a healthy understanding and trust of God's sovereignty, which gives me a trust that God is working out his truth of the word in my life and others. And he's doing this in his timing and of his will, and it's not my will. There can be a divine purpose that I am just not privy to this side of heaven. And as a matter of fact, maybe I won't even know once I get to heaven. Next, because of this, I believe that the Bible is 100% inspired every word in the original documents. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, training, for training in righteousness, that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So if those are true, when I come, for me personally, all right, when if I come across the, quote, strange stuff, or I come across a weird meme, um, I don't panic. I don't have to panic. I don't have to skip over them pretending that I didn't see them. Um, I have the beginning tools to deal with them. I know that they're there for a reason. There's a reason that those verses are in the Bible. I know that although they might not apply to me today, I can still glean from them. I can still learn about God from them. And if I can't figure out there are people much smarter than me that can help me and take me uh, through these things, I know that they have always been there. They didn't just appear recently. There is, this isn't something new all of a sudden. All these memes of these verses, right? You know, they're there. They've been there for thousands of years. It's just that they're being raised now more often. So while it may cause me at times to scratch my head over what these verses are about, even bother me some, I'm not worried, okay? As I said, I'm not gonna know everything this, uh, this side of heaven, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay that there is mystery. I'm okay that there is mystery about God and his ways. That is 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part that I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So not everything is perfectly clear. I am not God. Once again, approaching this, I am not God. I'm okay with that. I hope you guys are too. <laughs> He's bigger than any box I can construct for him. It reminds me of a good book that our life group went through called Not God Enough. You might want to check out sometime. All that said, I believe it is intellectually reasonable and not a naive approach that I have. And so that's my starting point. And with that, I realize we're all different places in our walks with Jesus. You may just be a brand new a Christian, and you're going to build on this as you walk with the Lord, or you're investigating in Jesus. So, all right, here we go. Let's go through um, and attack this a little bit. So the first step, and easy thing to do when you are reading and you're trying to understand, and you're going through God's Word, is something that you've, you've, you've heard often before. It's asking the old W questions, right? There are multiple different W questions, but many are basic that you would apply to 
um, to any approach of understanding a lot of things or investigating anything. So some of these are easily answered. Others you will have to find out. You'll have to do a little research or you can just ask Corey Bacher. So, Corey, I think we're on a roll here. I think just like two weeks in a row we mentioned your name. So whoever's doing a message next week, you got a task, okay? All right. All right, here's some. Who wrote it? And, you know, these are going to be in the Bible app. You're not going to be able to write all these things down, but they're up there. You can kind of start trying to write those down. Who wrote it? What genre is it? Um, you know, the main genres are law, history, poetry, prophecy, gospel, and epistle. When was it written? The time period, which helps answer where does this fit in the overall narrative, the overall story of the Bible? Who was it written to? Remember that the Bible was written for us, not to us. So specific people during a specific time that, that these books were written to. Who was, um, uh, I got that. Why was it written? Uh, which can help answer the to whom, when, and why. Under why, remember, um, I'm going to say this, but there's usually backstories. So when you investigate things, there's usually backstories as to why um, they're there and it tells you what's going on. And to add another layer for you, because that's just not enough for you, uh, these are five practical uh, questions for reading the Old Testament laws from a Dr. George H. Um, Guthrie, and these were passed on to me by Pastor Nick. And so here's some really quickly questions to ask. Once again, you can find them in the Bible app. Where does law fit in the developing story? How does this law relate to God's covenant? Is this a direct command that is reiterated in the New Testament? Has the New Testament demonstrated that the law is no longer applicable? And finally, personally, read the laws as God's word for you, even though most of them are no longer uh, commands for you. All right? And so if you're just starting with some of these basic questions, it's going to take you on a journey to begin to address some of these issues that pop up. Okay? It's going to walk you into very tough topics. It's going to help you answer things, uh, some of which we're going to attack in the next few weeks, such as... Uh, Topics such as pro-violence sounding verses, anti-women type verses, slavery, and others. So let's take a, a lot of these one verse memes, which we have named, the shrimp clothing, tats, hair, etc., and apply a few of these uh, Bible study questions and see if we can get anywhere with them. So when were these written? So a place to start for us is to begin to decipher is using one of our principles that the Bible is a library and not a book. We can ask which book that these are in, and we can pull that section off the shelf and these strange verses from, and look at these strange verses from that book. And we find out that many of these strange verses, the ones about the food, the, the tat no tattoos, the shrimp, wearing clothes of two kinds, not shaving beard or sideburns, etc., come from the book of Leviticus. Leviticus is the third book on the shelf of the Bible. On the Bible shelf, it's part of the first five books of the Bible, which we call the law books. And so the genre is law, if we're asking that question. Many of the verses are in Leviticus. So we, we find that out. So then we do a little bit of research. We found that these were written somewhere between 1550 and 1069 BC. 
Then the next question I would ask is, where does that fit in the big storyline of the Bible? And um, you see the arrow point, first arrow pointing down, it's Act 3. And that's where this applies. And so uh, Nick helped us uh, listen to his message from last week to help you walk through that a little bit there. The big story is sometimes called the meta-narrative of Scripture. It's a story of how God works in the world through creation, fall, redemption, um, and restoration. All right. Okay, second principle uh, was the Bible was written for us, not to us. So now we are asking two more W questions. Who were they written to and why? So we've established they are from the book of Leviticus. Okay, we got that. Now, who was it written to? Well, open up the book of Leviticus, chapter 11, verses 1 and 2 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, These are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. And it, excuse me, goes on and on. So we see very pretty clear here that the law of Leviticus was was delivered to the Israelites, and so that shed some clarifying questions for us. Oh, it's for the Israelites. It was only for them in the first place. So now the why. Why were these laws written? Well, when God gave them the law, the reason was, was to, to take for him this special people it was to choose them. It was to set them apart as his special people. Um, it was written to the people of Israel. They, what was happening at the time is that they were just coming out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And so what God is doing now, they've been in, immersed in this society that has all kinds of weird laws and, and, and things going on in it. And he separated them out. They've been under this yoke of Egypt. They're running into now as they're coming out into other surrounding societies and groups of people here who worshiping other gods are doing, practicing all kinds of really weird, bad, evil stuff. And so God was giving them in some instructions that they would not do the things that these people there, they were running into. He wanted to keep them holy. He wanted to keep them distinct. God wanted this, these people to remain loyal to him, the one true God. And so, as we said, he wanted them to be holy and distinct from all those other societies that were surrounding them. Leviticus 19.2 said, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. holy." Now, under the wise question, if you remember, I said there's often a backstory. The backstory is is that God, once again, wanted them set apart, and he knew that they were a fickle group. They have proven themselves decade after decade after decade after decade. And so Exodus 23, 33 says, do not let them live in your land or they will cause you to sin against me. There's other people infiltrating because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you. God knew his people. Uh, Exodus 23, 24, do not bow down before their gods or worship them or follow their practices. Exodus 34, 15 through 16 says, be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land. For when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. So bad stuff. God knew what was up. 
He was keeping things separate on purpose as they came, uh, and, and these come out in the laws they were giving them. He says, keep my decrees. Do not make different kinds of animals. Do not plant your field with two kinds of seed. Don't wear clothing of two kinds of material. This was an overall message to him. It's like, well, that's like kind of weird. So, yeah, but he's sending a consistent message to them of separating being right and, and being holy. Leviticus 19, 19. Do not plant two kinds of seed in your vineyard. If you do, not only the crops you plant, but also the fruit of the vineyard will be defiled. Do not plow with ox and a donkey yoked together. Do not wear clothes of wool and linen together. Um, and then all the dietary laws that kept the Israel separate from others. Once again, an overall message to them of setting them apart. That's the backstory. God wanted his people to remain loyal to him, the one true God. And so here in the book of Leviticus, God establishes the moral and the purity laws that serve to set Israel apart from all other nations. And that's them. That's their place. That's their life. That's their timing. Um, you'll hear me often when I'm giving a message how I, I, I try to put myself into that place the best that I can. I can't do it, you know, well, but I, I try to think and imagine what it would be for them in that place with the things that are going on in those societies, how they would hear this information. So these laws were written for a specific people, for a specific time, and for a specific purpose, the Israelites. And then out of this, you can see all these really seemingly weird verses that pop up, and all these written rules and, and certain things and of guidance. And they, they, they do sound weird, and they are bizarre to us, okay? But we have to understand that it wouldn't have sounded bizarre to them, all right? It would make sense to them. In their culture and the way things were done, it's like, okay, I understand that. Okay, we can do that. I mean, I like it, but yeah, I can see how our society works and those things work for us. In the same way, this is as an example here, um, if you were to examine some old historic laws from, from, from the United States, they would sound bizarre. Uh, in that book, Dan Kibble listed a few of these things. And so until we understand the backstory of these uh, laws, they're going to sound kind of weird to us. Here you go, real quick. Historic, historic laws in the United States. Arizona, did you know? You guys are just waiting for this, aren't you? It is illegal for a donkey to sleep in a bathtub. <laughs> Who knew? Kentucky, it is illegal to carry ice cream in your back pocket. Not only is it illegal, but it's stupid. Okay. <laughs> Rhode Island, it is illegal to throw... Oh, this is, this is a tough one. Pickle juice on a trolley. And those of you from Maryland, it is illegal to mistreat oysters. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. Just suck them up and eat them, okay? All right. <laughs> but there's backstories to all those. We're not going to go through it. We're not going to waste our time there. But, okay, so we understand? All right. But this still doesn't answer all the way, what about now? All right? Why aren't we following these laws now? Why is it okay for me to go to Kroger and get my special little shrimp box package? Why the memes now? Well, it has to do with covenants, okay? The same law sometimes, the Levitical law, sometimes the Mosaic law, because it was given through Moses. It's referred to as the old covenant because it's part of God's promise to Abraham and his descendants. And so these laws are known as under the old covenant. Quickly, what is a covenant? Um, I pulled this definition from a book. 
A covenant is a binding solemn agreement made between two parties. It generally leaves each with obligations, but it holds only between the parties involved. And so one way to think about that, just think of it as a, is kind of in our current terminology, like a, a rental contract between you and a landlord. So if your landlord comes to me and wants to get rent for you, I didn't write a contract, okay? I'm not paying that guy or that gal. He's, you know, it was made with you and the landlord, so I don't need to follow that contract. Now, out of the kindness of my heart, I may possibly, if I like you, help pay your rents, okay? But in the same way, these laws were applicable only to the nation of Israel because it was made with just Israel. Remember Le- Leviticus 11:2, And as noted, they are intended to set them apart from the other races that they were um, involved with here. So this covenant, as we've seen, was made after Israel's deliverance from Egypt. It involved laws and priests, all who were members of the tribe of Levi. Now, you know, I'm throwing this at you pretty fast. We're not digging into all these verses here, but this, okay. Um, which Mo, Levi, which Moses was. There were ceremonial laws. There was moral laws. A sacral, sacrificial system based on animal sacrifice to atone for the nation's sins. They arrived, they revolved around temple worship. A com, there was a complex set of rules of ceremonial purity and cleanliness. That's where the, the, the clean foods came in and what to wear. Um, and that was the only way that, that they could approach God in worship. These are the things that he set up. And it was to protect Israel also from God's wrath and judgment because they were sinners. So here's the thing, stay with me here. The nation of Israel, however, they were unable to keep the requirements of the old covenant, would we have been able to? No. Mm-mm. Meaning that a new covenant was necessary as, as foretold by the prophet Jeremiah, right? Jeremiah 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. This was all set up by the Lord to show them their need for a savior. It's cool stuff. This is like way back when. We're sitting here today. We know Jesus, don't we? The savior came. God setting us up through the Old Covenant. See, the Old Testament, the sacrifices pointed to the ultimate sacrifice Jesus would make once and for all on the cross. Remember the last principle? All the Bible points to Jesus. All these Old Testament, everything points to Jesus. And so once Jesus offered himself as the sacrifice on the cross, there's no longer any need for temple sacrifice and all the ceremonies associated with it or connected with it. In Matthew 5, 17, it says, Jesus, he had come to fulfill the law and the prophets. And so a new covenant was established as the law of Jesus. That was not only for the nation of Israel, but for the whole world, for anyone who puts their faith in Jesus. They can be saved. Luke twenty two twenty 20 says, In the same way, after the supper, Jesus took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Hebrews 10.10 tells us that we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So in the New Testament, we have a new covenant with God through Jesus. This is how we now relate to God. We're in the post-Jesus time period now. And so you can see we've moved here between 
uh, Act 4 and Act 5, redemption provided by Jesus. And so now we, we're living in the New Testament time. The law of Jesus is now uh, in play for us. Galatians 3, 24 through 28. Galatians 3, 24 through 28 instructs us that, so the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew, Gentile, slave, nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. No more need for all those sacrifices. Jesus was the final sacrifice for all people. Amen? Okay, to finish this part up, uh, Michael F. Byrd in his book, Seven Things I Wish Christians Knew About the Bible, put it this way and summarized the movement from the old to the new. I don't know if I gave you a slide on this. I did not, right? Okay, let me read it. Christians also need to understand that the law of Moses was never intended as an eternal for now and forever unchangeable series of divine commands to be obeyed always. Rather, the Mosaic Covenant was a temporary administration of God's grace to govern Israel and was intended to cocoon God's promises around Israel until the promised messianic seed came. It taught that the Israelites, it taught the Israelites about God's holiness and the severity of sin. It deepened their capacity to worship God in a pagan environment. The law pointed ahead to the coming of a messianic deliverer and was preparatory for Israel's role to extend salvation to the world. The law was a part of the scaffolding to keep things temporarily in order, upright and stable, pointing ahead to the future world. But when the future came, the scaffolding was no longer required because the new building was finished. All right, we're turning the corner here, guys. So that still doesn't really answer the question about the foods, right, all the way, right? Well, Jesus changed that too, okay? What did Jesus say about food? Jesus said that all foods were clean for his followers to eat. Mark 7, 18 through 23. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. That's for the junior high kids in here. <laughs> Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, just a couple of things, foolishness, all these evil things come from within, and they defile the person, not the food. And so today we can ask, what is the number of foods the Bible says not to eat? And the answer is zero. Oh, you guys are so good. You guys are so good. <laughs> well, you don't have to, but you know, you can. And so today we can ask, um, excuse me. And so when you see a verse meme, all right, or someone say that you're a hypocrite because you believe these things, or they quote these weird verses to you, um, they don't realize that it's not applicable to us today. But you do, all right? 
and then you can begin to explain. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be embarrassed of that. In order, in order for us to understand all of this even more fully, let me say this. When you do look through all of the New Testament, you know, this is kind of reiterating what I just said in a way, but food items, are, they're not relevant to follow Jesus under the new covenant of Jesus. It mattered to the people back then under the old law, and that's important. It's important, once again, to, I want to emphasize that the coming of Jesus changed how we worship, okay? But it didn't change how we live. The moral laws we see in the New Testament, they carried through, and it's an important principle for you to realize when you're studying this, what are the things that carried through from the Old Testament to the New Testament? That's why in the New Testament you see that, guess what? Murder doesn't stop. Do not murder. That's important. All right, you have to see which things carry through and what things did not carry through. Um, one way you can think about this is that the moral laws outlined the character of God. Who you know, and those things carry on, his love, his integrity, his faithfulness. Tim Keller, in helping us know what laws carried over from the Old Testament, he said this, if the New Testament has reaffirmed a commandment, then it is still in force for us today. So friends, that was a lot, but you could begin to use this process for any of the tough things that you come across uh, in the Bible. For instance, slavery. Once again, you could find single verses that make it look like the Bible condones slavery. And we don't have time to work through the whole process here. If we work through all of this, it would be a good hour message here. But if we asked the same questions about that topic, did the same work, asked who, what, when, where, why, applied the principles of where does this fit on the timeline of the Bible, of never read a Bible verse, etc. we would learn that according uh, to the Old Testament, and I did want to touch on this topic some here, according to the Old Testament and the, the New Testament, slavery is wrong and it's evil, that God didn't create nor intend slavery. People created slavery, just as God didn't create or intend murder or divorce. Exodus 21, 16. Anyone who kidnaps someone is to be put to death, whether the victim has been sold or still in the kidnapper's possession. Old Testament. God, we'd also learned that God gave regulations to an existing condition that people created. So God, they created this condition of slavery, of servants, and we'll talk a little bit about that but he worked within those things to begin to make changes. That the terms used for slavery in the Old Testament, they were, this is what you would learn, that they're more like servants or bondservant, somebody who sold themselves, okay, to pay a debt or sold themselves to escape poverty. And because of that, we have to be careful not to read our American lens of the total evils of slavery that took place here uh, in America and other places. That was kidnapping, Slavery from Africa bringing people who were against their wills to become the property of others, and it was evil. And if you do our work and our study, we find that that's not what was uh, talked about in the Old Testament and the New Testament. You'd also learn that 30% of the population in the New Testament were servants or slaves, okay? That although the Christians, they couldn't abolish Roman slavery 
What it did is it laid the groundwork to abolish slavery and taught that all humans have equal worth. Didn't we just read that verse? Everybody is equal. That in the New Testament, we see God moving people away from slavery. And you'd also learn that it was wrong to use the Bible to justify it here in America. They didn't ask these questions. They didn't apply good biblical uh, process uh, uh, to the Bible or they would have come up with the answer. Now, there's obviously that there's many layers there. But as Kemble put it, looking at Bible verses through the lens of the entire storyline of the Bible, you cannot, can, excuse me, let me say that one more time. Looking at Bible verses through the lens of the entire storyline of the Bible, you cannot, I cannot read this. Can you, no, not just, <laughs> you cannot conclude that God endorses slavery. Okay, there we go. <laughs> oh, that's pretty sad. Okay, let's wrap this up with some last thoughts. Worship team, why don't you come up? When you read a random Bible verse, you know what's really happening? You're really just reading it for yourself. There's so much more to it. The Bible isn't about us. The Bible is about God, isn't it? And everywhere in, that we can find in Scripture, God reveals himself in beautiful ways, in stories of personal redemption. And you'll find these things repeated again and again and again in God's Word. When we approach the Bible and the questions that we are asking, um, if, we, if we approach the Bible and the question that we are asking is, what's, this, uh, what's in it for me? We're missing the point, all right? If we're taking a Bible uh, verse out of context, we're missing the point. But when you approach the Bible asking, how can I learn and how can I love God? That's where you wanna go. That's where you wanna go. Let's pray. Father, in your word, we're challenged to be like the Bereans once that. Don't just gloss over your word. Don't just fill our minds with memorized verses. But we're challenged to study the word to see if they're true. We are to be workmen in the sense as we approach we know, Father, too, that it just doesn't stop there as we understand the reasons why verses are in the Bible, why your word may say something specifically. Help us to see that all of these point to your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to see that it's not just an intellectual exercise that, oh, I got the answer. Father God, help us see that your heart is written on every page of the Bible. And you've written those tough things there in order for us to, be, to understand how big and how amazing you are. To look at you in a proper way of awe and respect. Help us to move from exercises like these 
to a position of worship because that's where all of this needs to land. A place of worshiping you, our Father, who sent your Son to be that final sacrifice, that if we accept that sacrifice of your Son, we believe in Jesus that he died for our sins and that he rose again, he conquered death, that we might be called children of yours. May that truth penetrate deeply into our hearts. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship the Lord. We're going to go ahead and sing about how because of Christ's sacrifice we're no longer slaves. If you want to stand, feel free to. Child of God. 
Oh, thanks, guys. Thanks so much. Um, I wanted to leave you with a little, perhaps, chuckle as you leave today. And um, maybe uh, you've uh, done this before, or maybe you haven't, but the story is told of a man who wanted to find out what God had for his future. So he closed his eyes, he opened the Bible randomly, and stuck his finger on the page. I know some of you have heard this. <laughs> he opened his eyes and he read Matthew 27, 5. Judas went away and hanged himself. Not liking that answer, the man tried again. This time, his finger landed on Luke 10, 37. Go and do likewise. Again, not liking that answer, the man tried again, and this time, his finger, you know what the answer is? You know what the end of it is? What is it? Yes. Go and do it quickly. So, anyways, take Bible verses out of context, finding something to do, okay? It's not what we want to do, folks. I hope we learned that this morning here. Um, let's, uh, let's go ahead and dismiss. I'll say a blessing over here. We actually sang our blessing because that's my favorite blessing, number six. Why you hold your hands out here? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. If you need prayer, you want to talk... We have some uh, people up here that can pray with you, so we invite you down and come forward here. Have a great day.